I told Cindy I was going to get even with her. Can you guess what the title of the message is today? <laughs> Who are we? Who am I? Who are you? As individuals, as communities, as a church. Who are we? God challenged me some weeks back and asked me who I was, who I truly am. And at first I thought that was a pretty easy question to answer. But God has a way of continually going deeper and deeper with his questions about who we are. Sometimes our toes get stepped on. Sometimes it's a little painful. Sometimes we don't like the questions that are asked because we don't want to answer them. We don't want to go that deep. We don't want to know that much about ourselves and who we are. But as we begin to answer the question about who we are, the first thing that comes to mind is Are you born again? Is Jesus your Savior? Have you experienced the new birth? That's the first step to finding out who we are. You know, the Word says that He knew us before we were formed in the womb. And He's told us that He has a plan and a purpose for each one of us. So if we know we are born again, then it begs to ask some more questions about who we are in Christ. As we dig into scriptures and look at them, we will find that we are accepted by Christ because of what he did at the cross. If we're accepted by Christ, then why do we struggle so much with acceptance? We also know that we have security in Christ. And yet, we as a people are often very insecure. We struggle with day-to-day things, wondering if we're doing it right. And in Christ, we are significant. And yet, we feel so often that we are so insignificant. We have nothing to offer. We have nothing to share. We have nothing to give. And yet, Christ has given us the greatest gift of all. He died on the cross that we could have eternal life. That we could live forever for thousands upon thousands upon thousands of days in the court of the Lord, praising Him endlessly. That's what He offers us. But we have a free will, and we can choose. We can choose what we want to do with that gift, if we want to accept it or if we want to reject it. For many of us, we accepted that gift but it, did, it, did it really change our lives? Did we grow up in the Lord? Have we moved on with Him? 
as he's shown us bigger and better things. For he does have great plans for us. And yet, it seems like we're content just to be saved. God asked me a question through another man out in New York. We were at a church service. And this pastor asked this question. Are you a consumer or are you a contributor? You want to put that slide up? for? And as I looked up the definition of consumer, it talks about a person going out and buying things for themselves. You know, we, we hear things in the news like consumer index, and we, you know, if we're going to help the, uh, help the economy, we need to be spending, we need to be doing things like that. Advertising tells us that we need this because it's the latest and greatest. They're pushing us to consume goods. But there's also another part to that definition. I think it'll come. A person who eats it up or uses something up. Consuming. And the question I have as Christians are, Are we using things to make us feel better? I'm not talking about us relying on God. I'm not talking about us consuming the word of God. I'm talking about how sometimes we use the church as a crutch. We use it to to, to fulfill things. We, We become doing things of works. We, we know we should be in the word more. We know that we should be praying more. And yet we try to do more works to compensate. We, we change the picture. There's a synonym for that up there. User. And for me, the thing that comes to mind with the word user The first thing is a drug addict. Constantly using something to make himself feel better, something to to get that next great high, to to be able to survive from one day to the next. We have people in this body that have been there, done that. And God has set them free. And they're no longer users. They're no longer consumed by those things. When we <clears throat> complain, <clears throat> excuse me. When we come to a church service <clears throat> and we complain about the order of service or the music was too loud, not loud enough, too long, too short, and we all have our opinions on how things should be done. When we do that, on a regular basis, when we do those things, we are actually taking away from the church. We're consuming the energy and the strength and the direction the church is going. If we're following God, God has a plan for us. He has a direction for us. He has a desire for this church to fulfill. 
if we're, if we're the consumer side of that, if we're the complainer, then we're taking away from what God's doing. And we're not seeing the benefits of God in our life or in our church or in our community. We don't want to be complainers. We don't want to be critical. What we want to be is contributors. A person who contributes something in particular. Each one of us has gifts. Each one of us has talents. Things that have been given to us by God have been cultivated by him. And he asks us to share those things, to contribute to the body, to contribute to our brothers and sisters in the Lord, contribute to our families, so that we see growth in the kingdom, so that we see the Lord glorified. That's the direction we want to go. And I believe in many ways that's the direction that this body is going, this church is going. We see many examples of it. Just the other day, opening the church up for the funeral for Jason Seveth. We gave of this facility for a need in the community. We've had times when we've had special offerings. I think of not that many weeks back when um, Osman Jama was here and he shared about the mission that the Lord had laid on his heart to share Jesus with uh, <clears throat> foreign students and how he came out of a Muslim and came to know Jesus and what it cost him. It cost him family, cost him friends. And how he contributed one of his kidneys so that his father, who had disowned him, could have life, could have another opportunity to find out who Jesus is and what he could do in his life. We took an offering to help him so he could go down to New Mexico to the university down there and be part of a campus ministry. The church gave overly abundantly. They just gave willfully and joyfully. I think of times when our own daughter and granddaughters have been in need and there's been a special offering and how, how you as a body have met that need exceedingly beyond what we could have expected. I think of the many things that you do individually, contributing to other people, being a shoulder to cry on, being someone who just listens, someone who can encourage. That's what our faith is all about, and that's where God wants us to continue to go, to continue to be contributors, continually enlarging the kingdom, meeting other people's needs, and there's a great joy that comes of, of giving and of, of just being part of someone else's life and seeing them grow. And yet I'm afraid at, at, at many times we have a tendency to be like the church in Corinthia. In, in 1 Corinthians, uh, verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 2,
I thought it was going to come up on the screen. I was just going to read it off of the, okay? Paul said to them, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. And he goes on in those scriptures and tells them that they're immature, that they haven't grown. God spoke to me and said, I would like you to grow a little more. I want to give you more, but you're not ready for more. And I, I think we're all in that same state, to maybe different degrees. And I'm not picking on you, and, and I'm not saying anything to you that I haven't already stepped on my own toes. And God has shined a light in my life and said, there's some areas that you need to work on. It's not about works, let me clear that. But there are things we need to do in working out our salvation. There are things we need to do to grow. There's a, Some of you know that I, I love to listen to blues, especially some of the older stuff. Robert Johnson lived in the early 1900s, died sometime in the 30s. He was a very conflicted man. One of his famous songs was Crossroads, how he stood at the crossroads and he had to make a choice which direction he was going to go. And it was about his spiritual walk, about his relationship with God. But he also wrote another song, Nobody's Fault But My Own, in which he says, I got a Bible in my home, but if I don't read it, it's nobody's fault but my own. My mama taught me to pray. But if I don't pray, it's nobody's fault but my own. We have to take responsibility for our lives. We have to take responsibility for our spiritual growth. God gives us opportunity upon opportunity to dig into his word to come to him in prayer, to talk with him, to have conversations with him. It's what he wants. He wants a relationship with us that goes, goes deeper than Sunday morning, goes deeper than Wednesday night, that it's continual. He wants to take us there he wants to take us to new places. He wants to take us to new heights. And he's constantly talking to us. He's constantly calling us. And are we listening? Are we hearing the voice of God? Or are we so distracted with the things of life? This morning I was thinking, uh, I was down, down the basement about this thing of consuming and how our technology has changed so much in my lifetime. And I thought about how it had changed in my grandmother's time. My grandmother was born south of Ballotin in a sod hut. 
My grandma lived to see men in space, jet airplanes. You know, she went from, she was a teacher in a number of country schools. She saw many of her students grow up to be successful. She saw a lot of change, a lot of change. And I've often thought, will we ever see that much change? You know, I mean, uh, space, yeah, airplanes, yeah, they're going to, you know, change things. But I was looking at this brand new TV that the night before I'd hung on the wall down there. Because the one we'd had for 15, 20 years finally gave up the ghost. And that was a nice TV. You pushed a button and it came on and you pushed another button and you changed channels. And that was about it and it worked. Picture, picture was good. I thought it was good. Sound was all right. In fact, the sound was really good. We went and bought this new TV. And uh, it's kind of like hanging an iPad on the wall. I mean, it, it, get it up there and set up. It's, you just don't plug it in and hit the one button. No. You've got to program everything. There's a touchpad on there and you can go through this whole series of things and it's like my goodness you know this should be a five minute job and here I am an hour later still trying to get this thing going you know I probably should add my grandkids there but we get caught up in these things and it's going to make our life easier make our life more enjoyable I don't know I was pretty frustrated by the time I got got done with it it's got, it's got more settings on there. It's got custom settings for if I'm watching golf or baseball or football. You know, it's like, oh, just give me one good picture. That's no different with our phones. You know, when I was a kid on the farm, you know, you, it was a rotary dial, you know. You know, one ringy-dingy, two ringy-dingies. But... You know, then we went to cell phones, and the first cell phone I got was a bag phone. You know, it looked like a duffel bag almost, you know. You pushed the buttons, you pushed the number in, and it rang. And, you know, you didn't have all kinds of voice messaging, and you didn't have all kinds of things. You couldn't text on it or anything. And as they've improved and made our life easier, it's gotten more complicated. You know, I'm still trying to figure out the phone I got now how to get stuff, and then when I do get it, the next time I want to bring up something, it's like, oh, how did I do that? You know, life is full of complications. Life is full of things that consumes our time, consumes our energy, consumes our resources. And because of that, we don't spend time with the Lord. We, we don't go to Him with, and have that quiet time one-on-one time with him. And he so desires that of us. He wants to tear down the walls. We sang some really cool songs this morning about being emptied out of the things that distract us, about tearing down the walls that keep us separated. God has so many great things in store for us. He wants every one of us to be a contributor. To expand his kingdom. 
to bring more people out of darkness into light, to share the truth, to share the reality of what it means to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. That's what it's truly all about. Knowing Him in the most intimate of ways. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, talks, uh, Paul talks about the body. Beginning with verse 12. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit as to form one body, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. So even the body is not made up of one part, but of many Now if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body was an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think of less honorably, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special commodity. While, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it. So that there should be no division in the body, but that the parts should be, have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. It's a beautiful example of who we are. As individuals, we're part of the body. But corporately, we are the body. Each one contributing something special, something unique. Each one different. Yet we share the same Lord and Savior. He created every one of us. He created us to be who we are. We all can give testimony through our lives of how things have shaped us, whether they be good or bad experiences. They all become part, just like the body. They all become, it's the sum of those parts that make the whole of who we are. But it then becomes, how do we deal with those experiences? 
Do we let those experiences consume us? Do we let the bad ones keep us from being what God desires us to be? Do we let those things drag us down, keep us buried? No, we should not. Because you see, we're like, before we were saved, we were like those dry bones that Ezekiel talked about. We were just dry bones out in the desert. All used up. Nothing of value there. Nothing that could do anything. And yet, as God asked Ezekiel the question, can these bones live? He said, only you know, Lord. Only you know. God used Ezekiel to speak to those bones. And they came together. And here was these walking dead men. They eventually had muscle and sinew, skin. They were complete, and yet they were void of life. That was how we were before we, became, we got saved. We were walking dead men. But God breathed on those bones, and they came to life. God has breathed on us and he continues to breathe on us. And he desires that we be filled more and more with his spirit. That we experience what he has for us. It's all about that relationship with Jesus. It's all about letting him probe inside us and ask the deep questions and us being honest with him. The word I shared during praise and worship came to me when in a pre-service prayer. And the Spirit of God said to me, show Papa. Show Papa. I said, Lord, what am I to show you? And he said, show me where it hurts. And he gave me a picture of a young child riding a bicycle for the first time. The train wheels are off. You know, dad's behind him. He's pedaling down the street and then dad lets go. And he's pedaling, having a great day. He hits a crack in the sidewalk. Down he goes. He's got skinned elbows, skinned knees. And he starts to cry. And we've all been there. What does that parent do? That parent runs to him, picks him up, wipes away their tears, tells him it'll be okay, takes him in the house and washes off the scrapes, puts a band-aid on here or there, Comforts that child. That's what God said to me. I want to comfort my children. I want them to tell me where it hurts. God knows where it hurts. 
But God wants us to know that we recognize where it hurts. We recognize what is happening in our own bodies, in our own mind, in our own heart. What is keeping us from growing with the Lord? What is keeping us from being able to contribute to others? Yeah, we've had hurts, we've had failures. But what do we do with them? Do we take those experiences and what God did to help us through that? To get over those things? And then we use that to share with another? Say, yeah, I know what's going on in your life. I had something just like that happen to me. And here is how God set me free. Here is how God picked me up, dusted me off, got me going in the right direction again. Let God in. Let God see what's going on inside so that you can see what's going on inside. Give God the freedom to touch you. Give God the freedom to heal you. And then give God the glory for what he's done. You know, I I mentioned a couple of examples of generosity in this church, of being true contributors. And I just want to encourage everyone here to continue to be willing to give as the Lord lays things upon your heart. You know, we we have people in our church that are preparing to go off Great distances to to minister to other nations and other peoples. Now I see several of them in the audience right now. And they've sent out letters asking for support, whether it be prayer, finances. Don't be afraid to encourage them. Don't be afraid to give. Ask God, what do you want me to give? Pray for our brothers and sisters that go out and do that work because not every one of us can. But those that have been called, support them, encourage them, help them. It gives them strength. It gives them endurance. It helps them to know that there are people here that care for them. Because we're all called to share the gospel. Acts 1.8 talks about that great commission. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the other ends of the earth. So what is our Jerusalem? In that opening slide presentation that came up, we saw a number of towns, many of which are where we live. These are local communities. 
These towns are our Jerusalems. We're to witness to our community, to our neighborhood. And then it says that we are to be witnesses in all of Judea. What does that mean? What does that translate to us today? Our Judea is this region, southwest Minnesota, the state of Minnesota. It's all part of where we live, and we're to, we're to share wherever we have opportunity. And then to Samaria. And this is where I get even with you, Cindy. Samaria. That could be South Dakota, Iowa. You know, Samaritans and the Judeans, they didn't get along. There was a lot of friction there, problems. So I kind of look at that as that could be Wisconsin and Packer fans. <laughs> Lord tells us we're supposed to be nice to them. So thank you for all the help in putting that together. And I want to thank Mike Johnson too. Couldn't have done it without you guys. And to the utter ends of the earth. Just what I'd said about some of our members here that are going on mission trips later on this summer. We can support them. We can encourage them. And I want to close with a scripture. It's, uh, I didn't give it to Mike to put it up on the screen, so it won't be up there. But it's when David, King David had uh, asked for the people to contribute for the building of the temple, which ultimately Solomon built. And King David was coming towards the end of his life. And he was overwhelmed with what the people gave, how they contributed, how they gave of their resources and their wealth, of their belongings. And if you want to jot it down so you can look at it, it's found in the 29th chapter of First Chronicles. But right now, I just want you to just sit back and, and just listen to David's prayer. Because this is what I want to leave you with. I want to encourage you. Because this is how I see this church. And I believe this is how God sees this church. And David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly saying, Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and to give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. But who am I? And who are my people? That we should be able to give as generously as this. Everything comes from you. And we have given you only what comes from your hand. I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. 
All these things I have given willingly and with an honest intent. And now I have seen with joy how willing your people are who, have, who are here and have given to you. Keep these desires and thoughts in the hearts of your people forever. And keep their hearts loyal. Amen. You're dismissed.